What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Earn Your Good Day podcast, where we have a fundamental belief that people are stronger, more resilient, and far more powerful than they believe in or are even told is possible. I'm your host, Zach Kanadi. Now, before we dive into today's episode, I do have a quick ask for y'all, and that is if the content of today's episode, or any episode for that matter, is valuable to you that you implement it into your life all right that's the whole point of this show is to add value to your guys's the listeners lives so you can live better lives kick ass and accomplish all the goals and frankly at the end of the day leave this planet better than what we found it so if you find anything useful in today's podcast or valuable please implement it into your life and today is going to be a really really important episode it has a lot to do with getting over those limiting beliefs and kind of self-sabotage and getting out of our own way and that is the idea of reframing all right so what is reframing so well before you even start that what is a frame all right and so the frame is our current interpretation of reality so reality is for the most part very objective however you guys have all heard the phrase or the quote, perception is reality. So while you might see like a bus might be yellow, it might look a darker shade of yellow from one angle versus a very light shade of yellow from a different angle. The shade of yellow on the bus is the exact same shade, doesn't matter the angle. However, our perception of it is different based off of that angle. So even though reality is objective, our perception of said reality is subjective, meaning it's up to each individual person involved. Um, and then reframing is choosing to view reality through a different light. So it's actively choosing to change our perception of a scenario, and which is really cool because that means we get to choose our reality. So every time we're presented with a situation, whether it be good, bad, indifferent, or kind of just meh, we actively have a choice on how we're gonna perceive it, right? So if we get confronted with some really bad news, we have a choice if we're gonna flip shit and rage on everybody you know, and essentially be a child and have a temper tantrum, or if we're gonna be mature and say, okay, accept what happened, take it in, and respond in a mature way like if you get fired you can either i'm sure we've all heard about this somebody flips out you know destroys their place of work um starts cussing everybody out and it's like oh f you f this like i fucking hate this place like y'all never treat me any uh good anyways and you know i deserve better than this place fuck you motherfuckers right something like that and there's the other person who i think we all would strive to be and being like the more mature person who gets fired and is like, okay, I understand the reasoning. Um, wish this could have worked out a different way and just grabs their things and leaves, right? Doesn't make a scene, doesn't burn down bridges, yada, yada, yada. And it's like both of those people had the exact same thing happen to them, but they chose to respond in different ways. 
So they're choosing a certain frame, each person. And now you can even get into social frames, which we're not going to today. Um, that is something that is really crazy. And there's a whole lot of depth examples and holding frames, uh, people falling into your frame, right? Losing frame and what that means, being high value or low value. And there's a whole lot of things. But essentially, guys, I want to, we're going to stick to internal frames. All right. So, with that today. So mostly focus on like core beliefs and how we interpret and how we respond to situations and not really at all on social frames. And to kind of lead us into this, I want to ask you guys a question. And after I ask, I want you to pause the podcast and think about it for a little bit. So the question is, why is the desk the mother of the chair? All right, so go ahead and pause the video think about that come up with a couple answers and once you come up with a couple reasons click it back on okay so what'd you come up with i hope i'm assuming you paused and you came back anyways what'd you come up with right uh that the you know because the desk is sheltering the chair the desk looks older than the chair and you know or you know the chair is cushioned and so it's kind of an upgraded version of the desk uh, desks were invented before chairs. Uh, you know, there's all these sort of reasons. And, well, let's be honest. They're all wrong. <laughs> In no world is the desk the mother of the chair. Right? So I, that is the frame I put, I presented to you. And you guys fell into that. And essentially the whole reason I wanted to show you, uh, present you guys with that is to illustrate the fact that our brain is a storytelling machine, right? What are we captivated by? Stories, narratives, you know, epics. We love movies, entertainment. You know, if you ever, like, the best blockbuster cinemas are the best storyline, right? The best books are one that draw you in. There's ups, there's downs, there's twists, turns, and then you get to the end and it's, it's a satisfying resolution. Even if you watch a sports game, right? What are the announcers and the commentators trying to do? They're trying to weave a story of the game, of the players, who the characters are in this game. Our brain loves and obsesses over stories. It's actually how we interpret the world, right? It's through a story. And we interpret our, our life events like that. We interpret history like that. You know, a movie of history is much more interesting than a dull lecture that just lists off events, right? But if you can make a story out of a historical event, that's much more intriguing and somebody will likely take a lot more out of a story or a movie of a historical event than just an objective listing of the same instance. And that is because we love stories. Our brain makes stories out of everything. And... This is really interesting because that means we make stories out of our own life, right? I'm sure most of you guys have heard, what is the narrative you're telling yourself, right? What is the story you're telling yourself? There's even the question, you know, if you meet somebody at a bar and you say, tell me your story, right? What we're really asking is, tell me about yourself. We want it in a story. And this frame can be really interesting and, you know, so... There's actually a couple things that we can do when we're trying to adjust or maybe a frame's not quite what we thought it was. And it's the what's called the six-pack idea. 
Now, this has nothing to do with fitness, although having a six-pack is nice. Uh, it does not have to do with beer, although sometimes a good six-pack is nice. But it's essentially when you hear a frame, so we're gonna go back to why is the desk the mother of the chair, right? That's gonna be our frame. We implement the six-pack idea. We're going to come up with six alternative, six just different reasons, okay? And then we're going to assess the reasons to decide essentially which one might be true, right? And the reason we're coming up with multiple reasons is because the fact is we don't know what the truth is always, right? It's not always just the bus is yellow, right? Let's say that you're in a situation, actually, I'm going to table that because we'll get to it later. So once we have our six ideas, there's a couple of questions I want you to ask to kind of filter out the good and the bad or the useful and the not useful. And we're not judging the six ideas, right? We just need six ideas. And this is how we're going to use to construct our frame or how to evaluate a frame that's presented to us. And the first question is, is the story, aka the frame, true? Right? What are the objective facts I can draw from the frame that support this current idea? The second one, does it give me the power to act? Right? And this gets into the whole dichotomy of the victim or victor mentality. There's a big trend in society right now, especially with social media and just, to be honest with you guys, I think it's being pushed on us to take on the victim mentality. And the easiest one is the narrative of racism that simply because you were born a different skin tone than somebody else inherently means you're incapable of succeeding or having a good life, right? Or that you're born a certain skin tone that you're automatically an oppressor and that you should feel like a piece of shit just because of something you can't control. Right, that is a victim mentality. A victor mentality in that same instance of racism would be yes, maybe there are systems in place that I have more challenges to overcome than somebody else, or I am perceiving that there are more challenges to come than somebody else of a different skin tone than me. But you know what? Fuck that. I'm going to be victorious in spite of those challenges. So just because there's there are more challenges or there's perceived more challenges doesn't mean I'm any less capable. In fact, I'm going to show you how capable I am by being victorious, by overcoming all of those challenges. I will not let these challenges define me. Okay, another example would be somebody who battles with depression. You can let depression rule your life and when you have bad episodes, you can let that define your life and let it be the reason why you don't push yourself as to why you don't get up when things aren't going perfectly your way or that if you're having a bad day, all of a sudden you can't do anything. And I do realize depression is a big thing and that sometimes you really can't do anything. But I'm talking about just on a day-to-day -day basis, right? or somebody who has anxiety about a situation and because they get anxiety, let's say it's social anxiety, they never leave their house, right? Or they never try anything new because they're not sure they're going to be good at it. That is a victim mentality. 
that means you are going to be defined by your circumstances. A victor mentality is where you're going to say, you know what, yes, I do have these challenges. Yes, this is the situation at hand, but I'm going to persevere in spite of it. I'm going to figure out a way in spite, just in spite of my circumstances. If you're depressed, I'm going to figure out a way to get out of bed today. Even if that's the biggest challenge that I overcome, I'm going to figure out a way. I will not let this be a handicap. Okay, somebody's anxious and they get social anxiety or test anxiety, figures out a way to manage that anxiety so that they can still take a test, so that they can still go out with their friends and have a good time. Okay, they overcome the obstacles. They do not let the obstacles define them. And so that's kind of the one why. And I think the second question is the most important. Does it give you the power to act? Okay. And the victor victim mentality that I just talked about is a perfect example of that. Somebody might have depression, right? You can take the victim mentality that does not give you the power to act and you can let it define your life. You can let it make a victim out of you. Or you can say, I'm going to figure out a way to get out of bed despite how depressed I'm feeling. I'm going to figure out a way to manage this depression so I can still live my life. Okay, and it's so important because having a power to act gives you the hope that it can get better. It gives it a hope that you don't have to be stuck here. Okay, and then the last filter question is, does it produce good fruit? Does this frame produce good fruit? And we can apply that to the last example of being able to act, right? With the victor victim mentality. Does being a victim produce good fruit for you? If you take the stance of a victim in your life, does that produce good fruit? The answer is likely no, right? It holds you back in life. It limits your capacity for growth. It makes you dependent on other people and opens you up to manipulation and abuse. However, the victor mentality does produce good fruit because it's going to challenge you to grow. It's going to help you overcome these obstacles in your life. It's going to help you help somebody else overcome these same obstacles because we are not that different from each other, right? It's going to produce good fruit because you're going to try new things. You're not going to let obstacles define you. And this kind of leads me into the next thing of when is reframing good, right? I think the first instance is when we find a frame in ourselves, like a core belief, right, that is not beneficial to us, is not true, or does not give us the power to act. So if we come to a frame, we come to a story about ourselves, that is a, is a no to one of those three filter questions. Is it true? Does it give me the power to act? Then does it produce good fruit? If the answer is no to any or all of those, this is when reframing is good, okay? And I wanna give you guys an example and it's kinda of gonna be a thought experiment. Uh, I'm going to give you an example, I want you to follow along, but I also want you to think of your own so that you can apply this to your life and see how you would go through this process of reframing, okay? And so I want you to think of a time when you were upset with somebody, okay? And 
So I'm going to give you an example. I want you to think of your own. But let's say you planned uh, to do something with somebody and they bailed on you, right? Now I want you to think back to this or imagine that situation. What are the emotions you're feeling, right? What comes to my mind is, you know, sadness, anger, and hurt. And the next question is you have to ask yourself why. Now, when I was thinking through this and I was planning on this, the first thought that come to me, came to my mind is that, well, they didn't show. Okay, right, but that still doesn't tell us why we're feeling that emotion, right? So what kind of person isn't shown up for, right? And this is really the question behind our emotions, what kind of person does not get shown up for or do people not show up for? And it's somebody who's not worthy of being shown up for. Somebody who's not worthy of company, who's not worthy of love. And that is the frame that we're talking about. Okay, not being worthy to be shown up for or not being worthy of love and affection. And this is actually where we get to use the six pack idea and the filter questions. So let's take that same scenario. You planned, you made plans with somebody to go do something and they bailed on you, right? Let's come up with six ideas as to why they bailed on you, right? Now we're just speculating, we don't know. The first one we're gonna take is, was the initial reaction we had, which is the frame that we currently are in. I'm not worthy of being shown up for or love. Okay. Well, what if they had an emergency? What if the person got lost? What if they just merely forgot? Another one is, what if their car broke down? Or what if they got nervous and chickened out? So I think when we think of these scenarios, we typically pick worst case scenario. And Part of this is because our brain learns faster from negative experiences than we do from positive. Oftentimes with a negative experience, we can have what is called one trial learning, where it only takes one instance of failure or a negative experience for us to learn. Okay, think about if you touched a hot stove and you burned your hand real bad. You're gonna learn pretty quick to not touch the stove again. Right, but let's take a positive example. Let's say you're playing um, baseball, for example, and you're up to bat and you hit a home run. Okay, well, you're not gonna hit a home run every single time. You're not gonna have a great swing every single time because it's going, it takes us much more positive experiences to learn than it does negative experiences. And so then once we have our, our ideas, we get to go through the filter questions, right? And we get to ask, is this true, right? And this is our current frame. Is this true? Does it give me the power to act? And does it produce good fruit? Now, why did we choose the really bad frame in the first place? I think, and this is a, a crucial question to answer, and this is this can be really helpful to have 
a trusted friend or family member, or even professional help to help answer, okay? And I do want to warn you guys that when we do this self-reflection, oftentimes, especially with these core beliefs, these really deep-seated beliefs, it can be incredibly painful because a lot of these deep-seated beliefs are rooted into our core and they have very powerful emotions and really deep roots in our soul and trying to change those can be painful because they run so deep and let's say we did choose that negative one that we're not worthy of being shown up for is this the first time we've ever felt like that right when your friend you plan with somebody with them let's say go to the beach and they bail on you is this the first time you've ever felt not worthy Probably not. When was the first time you ever felt not worthy? How far back did that go? Does it go? If you're, is it your childhood? Is it uh, between your parents? It was in grade school. Was it from a coach or a teacher? From your first boss? When was it? And in that instance, if you want to go a little bit further in the self-exploring, you can ask, what does it mean to not be worthy? And you can go down that rabbit hole. But we know that not being worthy, obviously, regardless of what it means, doesn't feel good. right? It doesn't feel powerful. It doesn't feel encouraging. It doesn't feel confident. In fact, it feels the opposite. It feels painful debilitating, meek, small, insignificant, like trash. And so again, we ask these questions. Is it true? Are you an unworthy person? Or are you a worthy person? Right? Does feeling unworthy give you the power to act in your life? Yes or no? Does it, and it might not be give you the power, but does it encourage you to act? So does feeling unworthy make you want to take action in your life or does it make you want to recede in your life? And does being unworthy help you produce good fruit for yourself, your people, your community, and the world? Does it make you a better person or a worse person? Does it make you um, empathetic towards people or does it make you bitter towards people? If the answer is no to any of these, reframe it in a way that can be yes. And I'm not saying lie to yourself. Let's say, let's actually take this to a realistic ap application, right? How do we reframe this? Because it can be really, it's really easy to say, well, just tell yourself a different story. But you know that that's not true if you're not living in a way that makes you feel worthy right or if you're not behaving in a way that makes you feel positive what if you don't show up for yourself what if you don't show up for your friends well would that make more logical sense that people don't show up for you if you don't show up for them maybe and so i think a very logical thing to do here 
is to actually start not only telling you a more beneficial frame, but then asking yourself a follow-up question once you choose a more beneficial frame that answers yes to, is it true? Does it give me power to act? And does it produce good fruit? Is to then take inventory of what behaviors need to follow that frame. And the reason I bring behaviors up is because our thoughts influence our behaviors and our behaviors influence our reality and our reality influences our life, which then influences our thoughts about ourselves. So you can tell yourself that you're worthy all day long, but if you don't ever show up for yourself when you need it, if you never show up for your friends when they call, right? If you never put forth the effort to be a a person worthy of showing up right? Like you're kind, you're gentle, you're caring, you're empathetic, you push people to be better. If you're not any of those and you tell yourself that, oh yeah, I'm worthy, you're lying to yourself and you know it. So while we can tell ourselves this great new frame, we also have to follow up that new frame with new behaviors. Or maybe it's something that somebody else told us that we had a parent that didn't show up as a kid when we were a kid, right? Mom or dad at your little league baseball games always said that they were gonna come, but then never did. Always said that they were gonna show up to Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts meetings, but then never did. Well now, if that's the reason, then we realize that that is where our first instance of feeling unworthy is We know that that's not us, that that feeling of unworthiness has nothing to do with what we did or did not do. It has to do with a lie that we started to believe based on how somebody else acted towards us. And that can be liberating because if, if, let's say you're 24 and you started to believe that you weren't worthy or you weren't enough for love and affection because when you were a kid, one of your parents didn't show up to your sporting events or your school functions or the play or the whatever that you're really excited for them to show up for. And now you've lived your entire life not thinking you were enough. But it isn't that you don't behave as if you're enough. It's that you believe something that is not true based on how somebody else acted towards you a long time ago. And now once you recognize that, you can let go of that dysfunctional story you've been telling yourself because it is not true. It does not give you the power to act and it sure as hell doesn't produce positive fruit. In fact, telling yourself that you're unworthy because of a belief that you unintentionally picked up from somebody else or that somebody else told you and you just started to believe was true because you heard it so much, you can now just let it go. You can now start to view, you can start to choose to view reality in a different perspective. You can choose to reframe it. And that's where this is really powerful, guys. Once we realize what our frames are and then where they came from, if there's anything that we can personally can do to change it, right? If we have any self-responsibility for the frame, 
yes or no. And then we can choose to perceive the world in a different light. We can choose to reframe it. And that's the key word there, guys. It is our chosen interpretation of reality once we are conscious of our frame. And that is my call to action to you guys. Once you start to notice these frames, and this is likely going to be in your negative self-talk, and if you belittle yourself at all and you actually mean it, right? Or if you have this goal but you always have this recurring doubt in your mind, chase these down. Put them through the filter questions. Is that really true about yourself? Does it give you the power to act? And does it produce good fruit? If the answer is no to any or all of those, find out what, where it came from and if you can do anything to change it. And then guys, if you can, or if it's not even yours and you can just let that frame go, do so. Reframe it. Reframe the belief and then see your new reality and see all the good fruit that you can produce. Because guys, I guarantee you this, as much as we're broken people, as much as everybody's fucked up in their own way, I believe most people are good and most people choose and try to be good. You wouldn't follow this if you didn't believe that you were choosing or trying to be good. And the fact that you have a negative, a, a negative frame is not your fault. And that actually, it doesn't matter if it is your fault or not, because there's something you can do to change it. Go do that. And when it gets hard, keep on going. It's okay. You are strong. You're capable of far more than you believe or have ever been told is possible. And you are resilient beyond belief. So guys, with that, oh, I almost forgot. If you were here last week, you heard at the end of the episode was a little recipe that I gave for some power oats. And this week is another recipe. In fact, it's actually going to be my meal prep for this week. And that is um, beans and rice. And this is something I'm going to be doing every week now. And I'm glad I, I remember this because I literally almost forgot. But I want to give you guys the knowledge and the capability to take control and take ownership of your nutrition. Okay, nutrition is something that you do every single day of your life, multiple times a day, and it impacts so many areas of our life that improving our nutrition, our relationship with food, our sense of control of food, right, and enjoying it truly and it's enjoying us and being beneficial to us can have so many positive impacts from improving your social life, improving your family life, improving your health, improving your fitness, improving your memory, your longevity, right? Like it can even change your gut microflora. Here's a crazy fact about those. Your gut microflora, so the bacteria in your gut can tell you Right? They'll send signals up to your brain saying that they are hungry, which then sends hunger hormones to you, making you think that you are hungry. 
And that can be just because if you don't feed your gut microbes properly so that they are fed well, you might be consuming plenty of calories, but if your gut microflora aren't fed well, they can tell you that you're still hungry, leading you to overeat and be hungry every couple hours and wonder why when you just had a massive meal two hours ago. So enough with that. What is today's recipe? And guys, it is for beans and rice. This is super simple. And honestly, it takes about a half hour to make. And <clears throat> it costs only about six or seven dollars and you get four servings out of it. So what do we need? We need one cup of dried white rice or brown rice, right? The rice of your choice. One can of beans. I typically use black beans. One pound of meat. I use chicken or ground beef. And one package of the frozen vegetables. I usually get them from Costco. They're the, they're the dollar ones. Uh, they come with four servings in them, which is great. And essentially, whatever needs cooking, you cook. And then whatever isn't, mainly the beans, you just put it all in a bowl, mix it all up, season it however you want, and then you add about a quarter to a half cup of your desired sauce. And the reason is, is if you're gonna use this for a meal prep, excuse me, um, the, it dries out after a day or two. And so the sauce is mainly there, not only to add flavor, but to retain moisture because dry food is just absolutely disgusting. Um, I wouldn't wanna eat it, so I don't want you guys to eat it. However, if you're gonna eat it as like a family or house meal, I would just suggest seasoning the meat and the vegetables accordingly, and then it tastes it. If it still needs a little bit more seasoning, add it to the mix, just mix it all up. Uh, but guys, this takes, honestly, about 20 minutes, which is how long it takes for the rice to cook. And then if you cook a pound of ground beef, that should only take about 10 or so minutes as well. So really low prep time, really cheap meal. And I know food is getting more and more expensive and budgets are getting more and more tight. So I wanna give you guys this recipe. It's delicious, it's nutritious, and it tastes good. I said that right, and it's cheap. So with that guys, practice your reframing when you notice frames that aren't serving you or aren't true or don't give you the power to act. Go out, kick some ass, and more importantly, earn a good day.